0: Welcome, church, to part three of our series. We endure. Last week, we took a a look at at a love that endures. Today, we take a look at hope that endures. And and maybe an an appropriate starting place in looking at how it is that hope endures is by first looking at where hope is lost, where hope erodes. One of the places that I've noticed where hope erodes is in the face of loss—a loss of a dream, a loss of a goal. A loss, a loss of a routine, a loss of a freedom, a loss of a routine, a loss of normal. One of the ways that, uh, that hope erodes is when we lose people. Uh, we, we lose the connections that we have to people. And so listen, I want to invite you just at the very beginning, if you're struggling with a loss of a connection to people, um, we want to partner with you. And we want to help connect you to people so you can go ahead pull out your phone and text encounter groups all one word uh, to ninety four zero 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 encounter groups ninety four zero zero zero, and start doing life together because hope erodes hope is lost when we do life in isolation when we do life alone i 'll tell you i'll tell you one of the places that for me personally uh, where where my hope is eroded and where my hope is lost maybe maybe more than ever before, um, is when I find myself having to give an account or, or having to justify or having to explain people who do things in the name of Jesus that I know Jesus would never have us do. Like if you were given a Bible or just given the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just the Jesus story, and you put somebody, a reasonable person, on a desert island somewhere, and over and over and over again, all day long, they read the words of Jesus and the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then you dropped into that person like 10 years later. You would never have somebody like, rising up and calling people to, to, to violence or an insurrection because of what they read. You, you wouldn't see that. But, but now, like, Christians, especially for me, like, church leader, I find myself, like, having to explain that. And listen, there's a sense, like, hope erodes when I have to explain some things that I, I don't think Jesus would ever get behind. Hope erodes for you. Hope is lost for you. When you have to explain things or when you have to justify things that are just like way beyond you and honestly like have nothing to do with you or the hope that you have. Like, like when you show up to one of the family gatherings, you know, over the, over the summer, like 4th of July, hopefully things will be straightened out by then. And, and, you, and you hang out with your Uncle Biff again. Uncle, I don't know where Biff comes. He's your uncle, right? Uh, but you hang out with this guy one more time, and and he just has to find a way to like slip in there. Like I don't know how you could be a Christian. How how could you identify that way, right? Like you've got a father-in-law who has to just who has to just send you every article or every news release of every pastor or church leader or, or prominent Christian that, that messed up and kind of stepped in it one more time. And, and you have to explain, and you have to give a defense for all of that stuff. And, and hope erodes in the midst of all of that. Hope erodes in the midst of, of another conversation with your stepmom, and, and your stepmom who, who has never forgiven the church for how they've mishandled her divorce. Hope erodes when you have to justify that stuff, when you have to explain for that stuff, or you have to apologize for that stuff, and, and hope starts to slip away. So what we're doing this morning is we're trying to, is we're trying to figure out like a hope that endures in light of all of the garbage in the world, a hope that stays around. How can you get a hope? Like that, especially how can you have a hope that endures when you have to explain away all of the stories in the Old Testament, you have to explain away reasons for the church being full of people, which I've noticed are broken, infallible, present company included. How can you hang on to a hope that endures? Trying to justify the existence of a good and perfect, all-powerful deity in a world that is full of, of suffering and evil how can you explain all this up how can you have a hope that endures through all of that and i've just got some some words of words of wisdom some words of advice maybe when you find yourself having to explain everything in the universe to your cousins and stepmom and father-in-law and everybody else in between here it is when you feel like you have to explain away all of that stuff just don't just don't do it. Just don't do it. Because after all, Winston Churchill once said, I love this quote, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. And I don't know why Winston Churchill found the need to throw stones at dogs. That's not the point at all. But the metaphor kind of sticks. You'll never reach that destination if you throw stones at every dog that barks. You don't have to explain. You don't have you don't have to give an account for, for all of the stories in the Old Testament that, that wouldn't make sense out of context to somebody who's been following Jesus for most of their life. Like, like you don't have to explain why it is that, that, that Moses, uh, how it is that Moses got water out of the rock twice. And the second time, like, he did it wrong and so he couldn't go into the promised land. You don't have to explain like why it is that the walls of Jericho fell because of a marching band around it. You don't have to explain the creation in seven days when the sun was created on the fourth day. Like you don't have to explain all that stuff. Don't stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. You don't have to explain that to have a hope that endures. Because Peter, in the book of 1 Peter that, that we're studying, where this content comes from, Peter did not find need to explain all of those things for him to have a hope that endures he hung his hope on something entirely different and to find out what that is i want to go there to first peter and now we've been moving our way through and now we're in first peter chapter three and let's pick it up in verse 13 where it says that who who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good. Remember, he's writing to, uh, to exiles scattered all around the world. Verse 14, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. That is some audacity. Remember, he's writing to this group of people who are living in a country not their, not their own. They're not tourists just passing through and ready to go back home, doing some sightseeing. They're not immigrants settling in and making this their new homeland. They're exiles. They're living in this country, not theirs, for an undetermined amount of time. And they're under severe persecution. And, and Peter has the audacity to write to them and say, yeah, three words do not fear. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I mean, come on, Peter, Peter, Peter. Church, sometimes uh, sometimes we think of ourselves as Christians in the West, and uh, and we throw around this word persecution. I I just want to encourage you today to, to use that really cautiously, right? Because some places in the world, people experience severe persecution today, I mean, there's more Christians who lose their lives because of their faith today than at any other part, any other time in history. Like, persecution is a real thing. I'm just saying, like, we have to use that pretty sparingly here in the West because sometimes for us what persecution looks like is somebody who won't won't go on a date with you because of what you believe. Sometimes, like, what persecution looks like is not getting invited out to that party because, I don't know, you're kind of the person that they are and they probably wouldn't enjoy it anyway, so I'm probably not even going to ask. Sometimes like persecution today looks so small compared to that, and 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 honestly, like like a lot of times, our faith kind of gets us gets us ahead in the world. You know, it gets us a people to to do life with. You know, if we're if we're honest, you know, you know sometimes it's sometimes it's it's easy to be a Christian, and it's and it's not. It's not so hard. I used to do a Bible study with a guy for years. He would love doing a Bible study, not at a church at a coffee shop because he would meet clients afterward and he'd have his Bible with them. And, and, and he figured it, it won him points with his clients. It, it, didn't, it didn't lose him those points. But for Peter and the people that he's writing to, and in so many, for so many people in the world today, like persecution is such a real thing, and persecution is such an intense thing. You know, Peter is writing the book, the letter of 1 Peter, probably like 62, 63 AD. You guys know what happened in 64 AD? In the the summer, in July of 64 AD there was a a fire that broke out in the city of Rome where Peter is writing this from in the book of in the first chapter he says he's writing from Babylon there's no Babylon that's almost universally understood as a euphemism for the capital city of the Roman Empire Rome itself he's writing from Rome in 64 AD there's a fire that breaks out in some of the merchant ships in Rome near the chariot stadium and it breaks out. it raged for six days uncontained Another three days after they started containing it, nine days total of fire in Rome, it burned down two-thirds of the city. A tremendous loss of life, loss of livelihood. And Nero, the emperor at the time, takes the, the political fallout that's falling on him and he casts the blame on the Christians and says, they're arsonists in rome uh, romans they never really understood the christians and that's kind of why peter is is writing this encouragement to have a hope that endures in, in our letter that we're taking a look at today they didn't they didn't get it see, the, the romans they had they had a, a god for everything they had a, so many gods they started creating gods and goddesses statues for the unknown gods just in case they missed one along the way and then along come these Christians, and, and not only do they have a, the audacity to say that there's a God that they miss, and they actually know what the name is, but they say, I, I don't believe, actually, any of your gods. I think all of your gods and goddesses, the whole pantheon, I think they're just stone and wood. That's it. And so the Romans looked at him and says, they're ar- arsonists, they're also atheists. And they keep talking about this, this kingdom. This kingdom that's not of this world, this kingdom that's here and it's all around us, but it's also not here and it's, it's going to come here and there's a king of the kingdom who's, who's higher than the emperor, who's higher than Caesar. There's this lord, this kurios in Greek, who is, who is a head of the lord that sits on the throne in Rome. His name is Jesus and you we know, killed him and he came back to life. And there's, there's this whole thing and there's this kingdom. So these... They said, not only are these Christians arsonists, not only are they atheists, but also because of this whole kingdom rejection thing, they're also anarchists. Arsonists, atheists, and anarchists. You thought your church has a marketing problem, right? You know, and the people that he's writing to, they were on the receiving end of all this, but Peter has the audacity to share those three words. Hey, listen, do not fear. Because you have a hope that endures. It continues on. Do not be frightened, verse 15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, in your hearts, savor, in your hearts, consider precious. In your hearts, hold on to Christ as Lord. Church, I, I got I gotta explain something because this is an important point for us to realize the distinction between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. You see, the difference in the, the old theological terms that, that maybe some of you grew up on. It's the difference between Jesus as the justification for our faith and Jesus as the sanctifier of our faith. Justification, sanctification. Jesus as Savior means, means he, 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 he flipped your, your eternity. He paid for your sin. He moved you from heading on a trajectory towards death and hell to heading on a trajectory towards life and towards heaven. That's justification. That's Savior. He saved you from your sins. But Jesus as a sanctifier or Jesus as the Lord of your life means he's now making the call for you. I loved those words we, had, we heard from Sadie just a moment ago about how she hands over like the keys to Jesus and says, you're driving now, like you're in charge now. I'm going to make all of my decisions based not on what I want, not on what my family Want, not on, on what my wife or my husband or my kids would want, but the highest order in my life, she says, is coming from you. Here are the keys to the vehicle of my life. You are not only my Savior today, you are my Lord. And Peter says, That's what it's like. That's what it's like in that highest place. You don't have your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you don't have your career, you don't have stuff. In the highest place in your life, you have. Christ himself, not only as Savior, but also as Lord. And here it is, his words from 15, a hope that endures always, such good stuff, always, always be prepared. It means always give, be ready to give a defense, give an accounting, but always be prepared to give an answer. doesn't necessarily have to be the answer, but you've got to have an answer to everyone, including your Uncle Biff and including that stepmom of yours who asks you to give the reason for the hope That you have. He's like, write it down. Practice it in the mirror in the morning. Always, in season and out. When you're by yourself, when you're at a family reunion, when you're watching church online, when you're in a Zoom meeting, when you're in the meeting before the meeting, before everything starts and there's just chit-chat and somebody says, I don't know how it is that anybody could ever follow Jesus, or anybody could identify as a Christian, always be prepared to give this defense, to give this account, give an answer for the hope that you have. You get the sense it's not just an intellectual exercise for them. He actually wants them to have an answer. I actually want you to have an answer. I I think, in fact, I'd go so far as to say, I think you need to have answer to that question to have a hope that will endure 2020 and 2021 like we need to get this thing right everything really hangs on how we answer this question to have a hope that endures and I just I just want to I guess make an observation people will take shots all day long at the church I get that. I don't love it. I think there's a lot that the church does, maybe behind the scenes that we don't always get credit for, but I, but I get it. I get it. People will take shots all day long at Christians. Christians are easy people We're we are, because we're people. <laughs> and churches are made up of people, and we're broken, and we're hypocrites, and we're liars. I get that. People will take shots, listen, at the idea of God. But there's something that I've noticed is that people very rarely take shots at Jesus. Because what is there to take a shot at? Here we have a guy who had to make a choice between his life or his love for people. And he chose to give give up his life to hang to his love for people. You can't take a shot at that. People don't, people very rarely ever take a shot at Jesus because of, of the love that he has, because of who he is. I think the answer for you to be ready to your Uncle Biff or your stepmom in a moment where, where they're really not interested in having an extended conversation, this isn't going to be like a 20-minute apologetic session. They're not going to read a book and like have this book study with you afterwards. They're not going to listen to that podcast and you're not going to listen to theirs. In this like drive-by exchange, exchange, I don't know how anybody could ever follow Jesus and you want to demonstrate the hope that endures. I think your answer has to do not with the church, not with Christians, not with the idea of God, but it has to do with Jesus himself. For Peter, being in Rome... When the persecution breaks out, as the people are now receiving this letter, Christians are getting blamed for burning two-thirds of the city down, and for Peter arrested and, and put on this sham trial, and according to legend, being sentenced to execution via Via crucifixion and him saying, I am unworthy to die in the same manner of my Savior and Lord. Do it another way. And the Romans, in their twisted sense of humor, says, Okay, we can, figure that. <laughs> we can fix that problem. Would you do the same thing upside down? For Peter, a hope that endures hangs not on the church, not on Christians, not on the people that he's writing to. It hangs on this one single word right here. Resurrection. That is everything. That's what his hope hangs on, is the resurrection. I love Peter as a character in the Bible, because Peter is all of us, isn't he? I love love Peter in the Bible, because there's almost like like no better explanation, or no no better, I, I guess, compelling reason to believe the resurrection than a guy like Peter. You know, he's he's minding his own business one day. Actually, he's minding his dad's business, the fishing business. He's out all night long with the nets, not really catching much. Sunrise comes, morning, he's cleaning out the beer cans out of the net. He's like getting everything, you know, all set to go, gonna take a nap for the day, head on out there again the next night. And this this itinerant preacher, this rabbi comes up and just starts talking to a crowd. The crowd grows into a few more people. Peter's kind of listening, he's kind of not listening. He finishes his nets, and the rabbi comes over and says, hey, would you take me out fishing? And Peter's like, you said you're a former carpenter, right? Not a fisherman. Because a fisherman would know these nets are designed for fishing at night. And we just finished fishing at night, and we didn't catch anything in this lake. And now it's daytime. We're not going to catch anything. But Peter, just he says yes. One thing leads to another, and Peter ends up following that rabbi, following Jesus, and he saw some things. He saw miracles. He saw healings. He heard teachings. He heard stories. You know, but but to Peter's credit, he was a part of this movement right up until it it ended. To, To Peter's credit, when he saw his Savior, his Messiah, get arrested, executed, and then buried... He knew this was over, and so he called it, and he gives up. Well, that's it, guys, and he heads back to his nets, minding his father's business. And the story unfolds, John chapter 21. Peter's minding those nets, and he's fishing. Again, he's not catching much. A guy calls to the shore, hey, try the other side. Try, try the other side. I've tried every side. Which other side? Okay, whatever. Throw the throw the net over the, over the side of the boat, and he hauls in such a load of fish. It's like it says. John says the nets were breaking; they were so full. And in that moment, he realized who the man was. And he just starts racing towards not only his Savior, but also his Lord standing on the beach. And Jesus calls back to him and says, don't forget the fish! And in John 21, there's this beautiful scene of of Peter having breakfast on the beach with his resurrected Lord and Savior. I think if you drop in on Peter that day, he would give the same answer as if you dropped in. He'd give the same answer as if you dropped in on Peter on his last day of life. What is the reason for the hope that you have? How can we have a hope that endures? And it wouldn't be explaining the stories of the Old Testament, how it is that a, that a horn could bring down the walls of Jericho. He wouldn't explain anything about the parting of the Red Sea and how that fits into the rest of the story, you drop in on Peter that day and and he wouldn't even talk about the teachings of Jesus, the, the parables. I don't really understand those either, or the healings. He would just simply look back at you and say, I saw him die. And then I had breakfast on the beach with him. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as the resurrection. Listen, church, you want to have a hope that endures. you got to borrow a page from Peter's playbook. A hope that endures is a hope that says, I don't understand so much, but I get this. Jesus died for my sins and then rose from the dead. That's why I do what I do. That's why I believe what I believe. It's as simple as that, the resurrection. Jesus died for my sins and then rose from the dead. That's the beginning and the middle and the end. Everything else is color commentary. It hangs on the resurrection. Hope endures because of the resurrection. And there's more. And Peter says, you build on that, don't you? You build on that by finishing verse 15. He says, but do this, answer this way with the resurrection, Answer this way, with gentleness and respect. Answer this way, with gentleness and respect. Like when you're talking to your Uncle Biff or your stepmom, there's a way to answer without gentleness and respect. There's an answer, there's an answer that's malicious, and there's an answer that's kind. Do this with gentleness and respect. You see, what he understood, and what we understand today, is that gentleness and respect influence others we have influence with others because of gentleness and respect i had a i had a a a boss who in the interview process when i applied to be a a server at a steakhouse in grand rapids you know he was he was talking about availability and i told him you know i'm i'm in school and i gotta like i'm really involved in my church and i'm not going to be working on sundays So my availability is six days a week, but but not this one. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. There's some holidays like Mother's Day that lands on Sundays. You're you're telling me you're just like not going to show up for work that day. I'm like, well, I'm asking you right now to hire me even though I won't work on that day. And he goes, my staff, I remember him telling me, my staff is going to kill me if I hire someone who's totally unwilling to work on some of the busiest days of the year. What are you going to school for anyway? And I told him, I'm, um, I'm studying to be a pastor. And this guy, unbeliever, he looks back at me. He goes, okay, that changes everything. I'm sorry. Should I leave now? He goes, no, no, no. Every, like, soon-to-be preacher that I've hired has worked out tremendously well. Uh, this Sunday thing or or not, just what I've noticed about like you people, uh, Christians, really uh, committed Christians, he meant. What what I've noticed is you work hard and you show up when you're scheduled and and you've got some weird parameters that that we can work between, but you're open and you're honest about them. And the most important factor that far outweighs all of them is you don't steal alcohol from me. (laughs) That was the kicker. He goes, so if I have to explain to my staff why I hire somebody with the limitations that you have, I'd like to also be able to say he's setting to be a preacher and we can trust him. That's the gentleness respect that influences other people. And wouldn't you love to live in a world where that was true? That as soon as people find out she's a Christian, he's a Jesus follower. There's like this automatic gentleness and respect that follows after. And influence along with it. For so long, we have realized that this is true that decency and respect and gentleness have influence on other people. During the Reformation 500 years ago, the church is strongly trying to figure out who it is in the West, and there's this splinter group out of church, out of the Roman Catholic Church. These reformers in Germany... And these two 20-something guys, Zacharias and Casper, are sitting down and they're writing out a preaching guide for, for young preachers in the next year ahead. So in these 52, one for each weekend, question and answer format in Heidelberg, Germany. And one of the questions is, hey, if we're just saved by grace, why should we do anything good at all? And in 1563, they said, we do good We treat others with respect and gentleness A, because it brings glory to God and B, because it wins people over. It will win my neighbor over to Jesus because they knew 500 years ago gentleness and respect influences people. And Peter knew 2,000 years ago when his life hung in the balance and he hung upside down on a cross that gentleness and respect still influences people. When somebody asks you For the reason that, for the hope that you have, your hope that endures is found in the resurrection. With gentleness and respect, answering back, my hope hangs on Him because He's the only one who hung on a cross for me. A hope that endures is a hope that hangs. On the resurrection our oh God may that word be exhibited in our lives in our actions in our behaviors that everybody that we would meet this week would know that we're Christians that we're followers of you Jesus because of the gentleness and respect that exudes out of us because our hope doesn't hang on a clever explanation of Bible stories or justifications of people in the world today. Our hope hangs on you, Jesus, because you hung on a cross for us. We pray this in your resurrected name. Amen.